Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Nightlight, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I have Ken Quiethawk to thank for that amazing intro, and please visit him at his website, nativestorytellers.com. He and his wife have an amazing website there, and the storytellers are uh, a form of, of, of passing history on to, to future generations, and in many ways, we seem to have lost that talent and that capability. We uh, assume that everybody's going to read our books or listen to our blogs, and having a, a verbal history is something that, that would not be a bad idea for us during these days of strangeness, and certainly they, they get up more unusual every day. So check it out, because the Native American First Peoples stories are just phenomenal, and they do tell about their history and origin and the magic that, that evolution holds for every culture, every species, everybody. Tonight we have a fabulous show. <clears throat> I'm very, very excited. We have best-selling author Dr. Rita Louise, and she's a consummate researcher who passionately explores topics such as ancient mysteries, ufology, mythology, health and healing, ghosts, intuition, and the paranormal. In other words, she covers it all. She's the author of five books and the producer of a number of feature-length film shorts. She has appeared on radio, television, films, has spoken at conferences around the U.S., and her writings have appeared in books, magazines, and newsletters around the world. For more information on this amazing lady, you can visit her website, soulhealer.com, and sort of experience uh, what she's been into. I, I have to say that, that she's probably covered about every topic that fascinates me, and two hours is not going to be long enough to plumb the depths of her wisdom, but we're going to give it a shot. <clears throat> Welcome to the show, Dr. Rita. Hey, Barbara, and thanks for having me on tonight. Oh, you know, ever since I started on Blog Talk Radio nine or ten years ago, I guess, um, you have been one of those people that I've every time I've run across your name is like, dang, I have to get her on the show because she has so <laughs> much information to share. 
It's, it's sort of like you you have delved into just about every topic that fascinates me, and some that well, I now didn't you're know making about. me feel like a superstar. You are a superstar. <laughs> um, it, it just it amazes me. Um, you know, I am so fascinated with so many different aspects of of our being here on this planet and where we came from and all of that and and of course you know the extraterrestrial stuff as well so that you know it's just you've had the time and the energy to delve into and research in depth so many topics that that fascinate me and if i had you know five or ten more lifetimes i would probably try to delve into a lot of them too it's just that there's so much out there that we don't know it's hard to know where to begin exactly you know and and for me you know i just um you know and this is going to sound goofy well maybe not to you but you know i just (laughs) wake up and spirit says here you know like we want you to do this and it's like oh okay (laughs) and that's really how it always starts it's you know i don't really have an intention of doing something and then it's kind of like okay it's time you know he'll oh it's it's True story, true story, Barbara, and you will so appreciate this. So it was like October, like 14 years ago, and I get this message, it's time. And I'm like, okay, time for what? (laughs) And it's like, time to start a radio show. And I'm like, Uh and I was much shyer than I was, I was much shyer then than I am today. I've really gotten over a lot. And... um, (laughs) And then I was like, oh, okay. And they go, oh, yeah, you have to air your first show in January, which means, you know, like, and here's the list. Have to have a webpage, mm-hmm. have to have guests, have to have a network. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and it was like, okay. Yeah, and I aired that first January, you know, the first week in January. So. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> it is. You know, I, I have always said that if you are paying attention Spirit speaks to you and gives you direction, and you just go in that direction. And 10 years ago, somebody asked me to be a guest on their show, and you know, I said, well, where do I have to go? And they said, oh, just pick up your phone. You're kidding me. And, and you know, so I did, and I did their show, and then I, I called the gal the next day, and I said, can I come watch you do a show? Because that, that's, that was really cool. I didn't have to get dressed. I didn't have to do my hair. I didn't, you know, I, I, you know it was fabulous. And so <laughs> I went and, yeah, I went and I watched them do it. And I said, well, hell, I can do that. And um, within a month, I, I don't think, I don't think I did it as fast as you did, but, but within maybe two months, um, I didn't even think about half the stuff you mentioned, which would have been intelligent, but it was like, no, I can do this. And when, when I realized that I was going to be on the air suddenly for two hours, it was like, okay, smarty pants, now what are you going to do? And, and it, 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 you know, it was like, I never thought about that. I just figured I can do this. This looks really easy. And, um, and for some reason, even though I am not a techie, it was easy, and not only that, there was there there is a mystique connected to radio that absolutely is so exciting to me. It's unbelievable. 
I mean, you can't see my cats walking back and forth in front of the screen. You can't see it when a cat drops a mouse in the middle of the kitchen and chases after it, and I have to find it while being calm and intelligent. There's, there's so much that, that, that being on the radio hides that is just amazing. And it's magical. And for some reason, it doesn't frighten me the way standing in front of a television camera did or, or in, a, in, in front of a group of 500 or 600 or 1,000 people. For some reason, there is such intimacy connected with the radio that it's a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't matter. Actually, there, there have been times when, when I began that I didn't know if anybody was listening or not, so I set a mirror up so that I was talking to myself because otherwise you're talking in a monotone if there's nobody else there. And it became a form of therapy. It's like, you know, let me tell you about this and let me tell you about that, and then suddenly there were calls and suddenly the whole thing just, you know, I felt like, you know, Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland, let's do a show, and (laughs) off we were. But it, but it was exciting. But you've got so many areas that you have delved into and and really researched um, amazingly. And I am just, you know, there, there are so many different directions I want to go. But, but the first direction I want to go is um, I, I recently have had the honor of reading your Stepping Out of Eden, which... Um, has fascinated me, and, and it's a topic, of course, that, that everybody wonders, you know, who are we and where do we come from? And, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not quite the same story as a little boy who came to his mother and said, you know, Mommy, where do I come from? And she sat him down and gave him the lecture, and, you know, she was all prepared. She was a little scared, but all very prepared, and and when she was all done and, and the sweat was pouring off of her, she said, well, does that explain it all? And the kid looked at her and said, well, not really, because Marty came from New Jersey. I wondered where I came from. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've never I heard that one. <laughs> really? <laughs> really. <laughs> oh, I love that story. I, I just... Um, so whenever my son asked a question, I asked him to be a little more specific so I knew exactly where to go with it. <laughs> but <laughs> can you imagine after all of that preparation and everything, where do you come from? Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was, um, it, for anybody that has children, it's an easy mistake to make, so um I tried not to fill in too many blanks. Hopefully his friends filled in the ones I missed. Um, but, but, and they probably did a better job. Uh, but where we come from is, is something that all of us have really, really, you know, they tell us in school that we evolved from the apes and, and stuff like that there. And yet that's not, that's been something that, that, you know, I just didn't resonate with. And then when you talk about, primitive men I don't think they were primitive I I think that they had you know you talk brain capacity and all of that I, I really I have trouble thinking that, that we really evolved from from those primitive people yet maybe we did and 
you've done such amazing research on on first of all what it what it takes what what is it that makes us human and that's a good place Thank to you. start what does make us human well you know the thing that makes us human are all the intangibles you know and so when i brought this topic up you know on a lot of shows especially with people that haven't read the book or haven't thumbed through it, through it you know, they have this belief that I'm talking about archaeology and bones and evolution of man, which I do talk about in the book because it's really part of the story. You know, yeah. not that, you know, we're, you know, and whether you believe in evolution or not or, you know, genetic engineering or, you know, whatever it is, it's still, we have fossil evidence of it. So it has to be part of the narrative. But the reality, short of bones and artifacts that are found, I mean, that's just us structurally. That's just the 3D part of us. You know, and no one really looks at how did we, that inside part, consciousness, you know, information, brain power, you know, culture, habits, traditions, where did that all come from? I don't know that I've ever read a book that even thought to tackle that topic. Well, and it's 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 a great topic because when you stop and think um, about primitive people, um, they really aren't primitive. They just don't think the way we think. And I've often I've often thought that you know when you talk about about the earlier cultures they had a richness about them and a connectiveness to, to the environment, among other things, that was so profoundly wonderful, and it's something that we have lost as we, quote-unquote, have evolved. Um, oh, exactly. So, so that, so that there, it, there has always been a level of intelligence that was profound, and and even though you know they don't have iPhone, they didn't have iPhones or they didn't have um, computers or they they didn't have books, but the wisdom that they had was so much greater than I think in many ways the wisdom that we have now. Oh, very much so. You know, and it's they had different skill sets. You know, so if you gave you know. Uh, Cro-Magnon man or early Homo sapiens sapien or even a person 2000 from 2000 years ago, as you said, an iPhone or put him in front of a computer or stuck him in a car, they would be totally lost and have no clue. But well, yeah, and you can take somebody that grew up in New York City or San Francisco or Dallas or L.A. and put them in the middle of the wilderness and they are going to be just as lost as the oh, primitive sh- man, you know, because we, we were not trained with the same skill sets. Well, you know, that's it's not have intelligent, you, it's skills. There's, there's a, a, a video out there someplace, I've seen it a couple times, and it's a bunch of teenagers given a rotary phone and told to make a phone call. Oh, yeah, and they and have no clue. <laughs> they haven't a clue at all. And, and it's like, okay... This is, you know, this is ridiculous, but, but it, it happens. And I, I think that a lot of the, the skills and the talents that the, the Native people, the people that were living with the environment, I mean, 
you can tell it's going to rain when the leaves turn over. And most people don't know that. The, the, well, the I think in, that what they – oh, go ahead. I mean, I think no, it, what it, they it, had to know far ex- exceeds where we are today. You know, because now absolutely. if we don't know something, we go online or we get a book. I mean, I remember – well, I don't want to say growing up, but, you know, in my adult life, you know, before the Internet – you know, I would work on my car and I would get my Chilton's manual out, you know, and read the instructions, you know, and they didn't even have instruction manuals. And so, you know, they're tanning hides and hunting food and doing all this stuff that today, I don't know that we, we have not practiced, how's that, <laughs> the intellectual capacity to remember that level of stuff anymore. We have become much more used to being able to look something up, you know, and access reference material versus storing it somewhere in your head. Well, and also I think that we have lost a great deal of our communicative skills as well. If you go way back, um, there there was a time frame where um, the, the group had even a um, – a, a group memory of things that where where they could share memories, they could share thoughts, and now today, you know, people don't talk as much. They don't share information verbally, and mm-hmm. they rely upon technology to give them the wisdom that they are too lazy to grab for themselves. And don't get me wrong, I love Google and I love the internet and being able to get all sorts of amazing information. But if you don't in if you don't incorporate it into your own inner wisdom and then share it with other people, what's the point? Mhm. Well, and, and I and, think that uh, they also had a certain level of, you know, you know, I'm going to say it this way, psychic ability, you know, just uh-huh. based on the lifestyle and the tradition that they lived, you know, that people were more in tune to their bodies, more in tune to subtle energy, uh, more in tune to the animals around them and nature in general, um, uh-huh. you know, that um, there was, you know, verbal communication, nonverbal communication, but then there was also that subtle level of communication that I think people were more in tune to. I think people were more open to receiving it. I mean, if you look at today's world, and it's changing slowly but changing, um, you -hmm. know, it has been drummed out of Western consciousness, you know, and and it makes me laugh, you know, because they're like, oh, well, scientists have discovered that, you know, these things communicate with each other, and it's, we can sense things that are what, out around our body, and it's kind of like, duh. It's, mm-hmm. it's like indigenous <laughs> people, you know, people in other cultures have known that. Oh, and, and, and that happens by means of, ooh, chakras. See, there's even a word for it. Oh, yeah. You know, no, and they just... go around in the Western world like they've made some new discovery, but it's not freaking new. And and because it's not technology, people tend to, you know, sort of veer away from it. And I find it fascinating uh, 
what, 40 years ago, 50 years ago when I started out in this field, if anybody had known the things that I was in, interested in, I mean, I could have lost my job as a school teacher. Um, I, it, was, it was reason for firing me because they would have said, ah, oh, she deals with the occult, the stuff like that, which was never the case. But, but it, it, it's sort of like, you know, when you, when you get to those points where you are trying to blend in with the environment, when you're trying to understand the energies around yourself and other people, when you're trying to, you know, get a, a deeper understanding of, of situations and people, you're using those qualities. And, and, of course, way, 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 way back, they did that. They hunted that way. Uh, they established their healing centers and stuff like that by watching where the animals went to heal. And then they kind of gathered around those particular areas that had the energies that was helping the animals to heal, and then they built their, their healing centers on that. And they were they were more aware and more tuned into the environment around them than we are today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's and not it's that right. we don't have that and it's yeah. not that we don't have that capability. You know, we oh, just yeah. haven't been taught to use it. You know, I offer uh, training for energy medicine to work as an energy medicine practitioner, intuitive counselor, or uh, medical intuitive. It's an online mm-hmm. distance training. And people, you know, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, um, well, do you have to be psychic to do this? And it's like, <laughs> well... Yeah, but my belief is that we're all psychic, you know, and my job, like, I'm not going to teach you how to be psychic. What I'm going to do is to teach you how to be aware of the gifts that you already naturally possess and help you tune that in and hone that muscle, you know, so that you can do this work. You know, it's not about me giving you anything or opening up your chakras. You know, people go, oh, well, you need to open up your chakras. It's like, no, not really. <laughs> yeah, they're already open. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So it, it's, it is amazing how, how we are starting, how just of late, within maybe the last 10 years, people have been more and more open to um, the energy fields have been open up to, and, and we're not, I'm not negating out all other sciences and things like that, but, but it is amazing how, you know, we've had all these talents, these skills for so very long, and, and superstition has gotten in here and, and, you know, told us this is bad, this is wrong, this is a no-no, and so people have had an adverse reaction to, to all of the, the holistic um, energies and the way to use them and when you i mean in your book you mention how how way way back i don't know 40 50 thousand years ago or before before um you know in the ancient times that that there there were um wise people uh, shamans if you will that were that were found in their burial and they had all sorts of herbs and things like that scattered around them as though this is knowledge and wisdom that, that is millions of years old, maybe. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're just getting around to remembering it. <laughs> and, it, you know, you, you kind well, of shake you your know, head. And but, you know, and that's the joke. And I, you know, and I kind of point my finger a little bit, you know, at the Catholic Church. 
I mean, I don't have anything mm-hmm. against Christianity and the beliefs that they have. However, they did, you know, I don't want to say humanity. They did the Western world a huge mm-hmm. disservice because they disconnected us from our truth, you know, and they disconnected us from the world around us. You know, so you're sitting there saying, you know, there were all of these, you know, prohibitions that were put around, you know, this kind of stuff, but it was only in Judeo-Christian cultures and, and more in Christian cultures where it was made bad. You know, if you yeah. were a, a midwife or an herbalist, you were bad. And, um, you know, and so it's just really sad. And so it's not even that we're refinding it. It's like we're breaking down the walls of this amnesia, this forced amnesia, you know, that was imposed on people, people, you know, and I get, well, you know, but it's not like that. You you can't just say that. It's like, well, you go to India or Australia or the Native American cultures and they don't have those beliefs, you know, Uh and the only reason that it's spread so far and wide is when the European expansion happened and they annihilated culture, like indigenous culture, in society after society around the world, so that it became the one of the most you know common belief systems and thought forms around the world. Oh yeah, I, and and I think you're being too kind to call it expansion. I believe it was an invasion. And well, it was and, an invasion, but they call yeah. it expansion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but they didn't take the time to listen to the people that were already here and learn how they were. I mean, they were okay with learning how to plant crops to grow and stuff like that. But, but when it came to their spiritual beliefs and, and, and their customs, they, they, they immediately termed them primitive and decided to bring them into the whatever century it was and, and, make them Christians so that they could, you know, blend in with the, though they weren't allowed to actually really blend in. But, but, you know, they, they wiped out some amazingly um, magical and, and insightful and productive and healing qualities that, um, that, that the, the, the native people had native uh, first people. I don't know what the right term is anymore, but, but I mean, even, even um, where was it? Uh, the, the there was a, a cure. Essiac tea was. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with that? It it, it was mm-hmm. a from healing, South America. Yeah, <clears throat> well, um, I, I think. Well, it's a combination. It may, it, it's a combination. I think yeah, it may have come. You know, but 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 it it absolutely. Um, cured cancer for a number of people. And um, when when the nurse, um, I can't remember her first name now, it's her name backwards, but, but it was called SEACT. And she, was, she, she found out about it because she was treating a Native woman and there was a scar and the Native woman said, oh, that's where I had cancer. And when she investigated it, she, she got the recipe from um, a chief in one of the tribes and she started using it on her patients. And she had something like 50,000 documented cures. And because it worked, they didn't let her use it, which, you know, 
makes good sense. Is, you know, if it works, God forbid you you help people with it. Well, you know, let's let's well, just make people. If you can't go, make money off of it, if you can't make money off of it, it's not about whether yeah. it works or not. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Which is really um, really pathetic. Well, when when my husband, my late husband, had. Um, uh, stage four lung cancer when it was actually discovered, and he used the SAACT, and um, it helped him tremendously. I mean, he still passed away, but he had a, a better quality of life because of it. And, and again, here's another thing where where the powers that be are suppressing the things that come naturally, and and depriving us of something that was developed by our species to use. And um, it, well, it, 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 but even natural stuff, you know, there's all the, you know, and I hate to like take it here, but I think it's a case in point. You know, there are so many benefits, you know, like people are identifying from like CBD oil, which is made out of hemp, you know, yeah. and there are a lot of people that have benefits from smoking marijuana or using oil that comes from the marijuana plant versus hemp, you know, whatever. I'm going to kind of throw those into the same pot for a second. You know, mm-hmm. and there are places that don't want to, you know, decriminalize it or legalize it even for medical use, you know, and you hear, oh, well, Monsanto wants to, you know, get in that game so that they can make it be a prescription so that they can mm-hmm. make money off of it, you know, or make it some kind of over-the-counter thing so that they can make money off of it versus letting you just, like, grow a couple of plants in your backyard if you feel like it. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, that's illegal. No, I... That's illegal, you know, but you can buy it from us. See, I I have seen how it helps people in many different ways. And, and, yeah, people abuse everything. People abuse the Internet. I mean, so, you know, there are, there are children that get addicted, people that get addicted to the games and things like that. So, uh, you can abuse anything and everything, but but there, especially for for the uh, the marijuana, I I have seen people help tremendously with it, and like I said, you know there there are people who will abuse it, and there are people who will want to outlaw it, but but if if there is a way of utilizing it that helps people, I think they ought to be allowed to actually use it. It doesn't doesn't make sense to me. So, so we have these these people here in our culture now who are healers who can use a lot of these different modalities, and then we have the other people on the other side that are saying, no, no, this is bad, this is evil, and then the large majority of the population is caught in the middle and having to make, you know, a, a decision or a choice as to, you know, how they're going to live their lives. And it's, it's, it's pathetic. It's, I don't understand it. We are the same species, and yet we seem to be divided into, you know, the haves and the have-nots just about these days. You know, I have this wisdom, but, you know, if you use it, we're going to put you in jail. And is it fear? What is it that has, you know, our, our species has become divided because of all of this crap. Mhm. And it's it's well, really that's because, it's, it's, you know, it's about control. You know, mm-hmm. it's about as, as you hear on the news, it's about controlling the narrative. 
Yeah. You know, and having it be where, you know, they have the power and you don't. I mean, if you have the power, let's say, through meditation or yoga or, you know, energy healing to be well or commune with spirit or receive your own information from, you know, your higher self or your spirit guide or whatever words you want to put there, it's kind Uh of like it kind of cuts into their power and their control and dominion over you, you know, and it just makes me think um, they're, you know, they talk about like Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, you know, like, oh, well, the Bible says that Mary Magdalene was a (laughs) prostitute, but it, but it doesn't say that. So, you know, somewhere, some guy decided that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And so regardless of what it says in the Bible, his interpretation has gone down from generation to generation, you know, and we kind of chuckle at it now and, you know, toss it into the dogma stuff. But that's really a lot of what happens or has happened is that, you know, something that was sacred, something that was pure, something that was holy has been really watered down into something that has no meaning and has no power. I mean, the rituals that early cultures used had power. Today, not so much. Yeah, that's it. Well, you know, I think the one thing that I got out of your book that was, that, you know, really fascinated me, well, I I got a lot out of it. It wasn't just one thing. But (laughs) when a baby is born, you have literally a blank slate. If you give that baby to the animals of the forest, they, you know, if they don't eat it, um, they will raise it. But, but what that child learns in that situation um, does not exactly make it the same kind of person that, that a baby who is born into a family of you know, intellectual whatevers um, and they teach it language, and they teach it this, and they teach it that. Teach it that. It's it's kind of like um, there is really no difference between us and primitive uses. It's just a matter of what what the the culture, the the um, surrounding environment has taught us. Because mm-hmm. you know you you speak of of uh, the feral children that mm-hmm. have been found. And and I found that fascinating about how, how they they really don't adapt or, or they may learn words but they don't integrate into society the same way a child brought up in the society would react. So so what is it that makes us human? Both of those children, one raised by animals and one raised by people, they both have the same genetic type background and yet what they become is so very different. Yeah, so people that aren't familiar with the concept of feral children, there have been over the years, I think, 100 reported cases of feral children. You know, so Mm -hmm. I think we've all seen Tarzan, you know, the movie Tarzan, where he's raised in the jungle, you know, by the apes or the lions or whatever, and he grows up. you know, into being a man. And so in the late 1800s, there was a young boy who they found in the woods, and he was the most severe case 
that has ever been uncovered. And um, when he was seen the first time, he was, they estimate, about 10 years old and would, was running through the woods and would pounce on an animal and then pick it up and eat it. And so finally, this young boy came out of the forest and came into society. But he had no social skills. You know, he had no language. He didn't, you know, understand what living in a house was or what wearing clothes was or, you know, how to eat with a fork. I mean, he had no, no understanding of society. Um, and so they tried working with him, and especially with language, and they found that even though he could understand some words, he really couldn't grasp the concept of um, sentence structure and things like that. And so one of the things that they've concluded is, and I, there's quite a bit of research behind this on a number of different levels, is that, you know, in the first few years of our life, that's really where we develop, you know, our ability to use language. And so if you are born in the United States, you're more than likely to be trained English. You know, if you're in China, you are likely to be trained Chinese. Um, you know, and as anyone probably knows, it's like if you want to teach, learn a second language or, you know, they say that it's easier to teach a young child a second language because it's like those neural pathways haven't fully developed and so it allows them to do that. And so, you know, and they can't really take the concept of feral children and develop that. You know, they can't just take a child and throw it out in the woods, you know, and be like, here, we'll come back for you in a few years um, because that would be really illegal. Uh, yeah. You know, so they can only do it based on, you know, ones that have been identified and reported, you know, and studied. Um, you know, so they only have a handful. But where I think it's interesting is when you look at um, studies that have been done with apes, you know, like Coco, who just a couple of years ago passed away, who was taught uh -huh. sign language. And she knew, yeah. excuse me, over 3,000 words. That's a lot of words and, yeah, could speak in, and could speak in sentences and was able to communicate with her handlers, you know. And so how did that happen? Well, she was acquired very young and they started working with her, you know, doing sign language. And so she was at that place that she was able to learn how to utilize language, you know, and there were... Some ape, one ape in particular, Lulis, who uh, was actually born in captivity, and his mom, you know, so his ape mom, when he was really tiny, started showing him sign language it, so that, you know, he would be able to communicate. You know, so there's things that we do that we instinctively teach our children because this is a, a skill that's needed in society, uh -huh. you know, for you to do good. And his mom was automatically starting to teach him sign language. You know, and it's sad because I guess a lot of those experiments stopped because he was one of the first apes born in captivity that interacted with humans, you know, kind of like your dog except more. You know what I mean? Because there's a different yeah. level of intelligence that 
um, the apes have than, you know, a canine has. Um, you know, so I guess that all kind of went away, but I think it would be interesting, you know, to have had that continue to see if over a period of time, if his skills and ability um, excelled and exceeded his mom's, you know, and how that would third out into the next generation. I mean, I just think that would just be a, a really wonderful experiment. It would Although, be. Although, did but you hear that it... they put, like, just one short thing, did you hear that they put uh, human cells into a chimpanzee, human brain cells into a chimpanzee or something like that? No. Make it be smarter? Yeah, you know, so of course all the comments on Facebook, it's like, oh, Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it does, It does, you know, I, I am... You know, not not that I'm an expert. It's just that you know I happen to not believe that we evolved from the apes. That's just me, and and that I do believe that that species-wise, we are a different species than the animals. That I don't, I, you know, and and there's there's scientific proof that you know they say that we did, and for some reason I just can't I can't connect to it. You know, maybe. My next life, I will, or something. It just to me, it does. It doesn't feel right. But, but you know, and here is another example of of. Okay, so you are well, well, but wait, we're able to communicate with animals too. I mean, there are animal whispers. There are people that are able to really communicate with animals. You know, via uh, you know, sending sending um, pictures. Not not words because they don't understand the words, but um, and I've done it with my cats. You know, if I if I'm really thinking um, straight and you know have nothing better to do in my time, you know, I I I did at one time think that that it would be a good it would be really cool to be able to send my cats messages and get messages back from them, and you can because they they communicate. Alpha theta ish. You can send them a picture. They get it. They understand it. So long as it's not too complicated, but you can make that kind of connection and communication. So it's not that we're better than them. We're just different than them. And and I really I, I struggle still with you know. So where did we come from? Where did um, their their term Homo sapiens sapien? Where did where did we come from i mean there's 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 great there's there's skeletal evidence that we've been around for at least a million or so years i think isn't there for homo sapiens i mean homo yeah. homo erectus came on the scene about 1.5 million years ago and then okay. homo sapiens after that and then cro-magnon which is homo sapiens sapien uh, okay was about 40,000 years ago. You know, and as as you probably know from reading the book, you know, one of the things I really like to do is to tie things back to the mythic record. You know, because okay. I believe that the that myth holds our history. And I agree. you know, so many people poo-poo mythology and it's like oh it's just archetypal images and it's just a fantasy and blah 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 
And I don't know who came up with the belief other than maybe the church, you know, to sit there and negate every other religious tradition or, you know, a story that might have come through about the gods. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, but there have been a couple of things that have come through fairly recently that make you really go, okay, so maybe there is some truth to mythology, and I'd like to share this story. So this was uh, in Smithsonian Magazine in April of 2017. It's this long article, but I'm just going to kind of condense it. Um, that okay. there was an Aboriginal group off the central coast of British Columbia that talked about a strip of land that didn't freeze during the Ice Age, which made it a place of refuge for early inhabitants in the territory. Okay, and so that is their tradition. You know, that is their history. And, of course, everyone's like, nah, 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 it can't be, blah, blah, blah. You know, the usual (laughs) line, you know. And so um, a group of archaeologists went in and did a bunch of excavations in that region And so one of the things that they found was that there were some, uh, okay, so let's see, they sifted through meters of soil and peat before hitting upon the charred remains of an ancient hearth. And so when they carbon dated it, it carbon dated to 14,000, if I said that correctly, 14,000 years ago, which says that this story that they tell that this strip of land had been inhabited during the Ice Age is Uh 14,000 years old. It gives credence to oral tradition. You know, and so they talk about the telephone story. and Well, you know, we tell the story, it's going to change, it's going to change. But I don't think so. You know, I don't, that's not, you know, I don't think people understand oral traditions. You know, they just don't get it. And, you know, because it's not that way. I mean, you know, I joke around. uh, It's not in this book. It's in my other book, uh, E.T. Chronicles, What Myths and Legends Have to Say About Humanity. You know, and I really get into this whole dialogue about oral traditions, you know, and, and, you know, because there's just so much that people are slammed you know, wanting to put any credence into a history being passed down orally. But if Mm -hmm. you think about it, and you're going to laugh, so you go ahead and do that. If you think about it, we all know the words to Jingle Bells, even though we only sing it one time a year. All right, we might not know the second and third verse, but we all know the words to at least the main chorus of it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and so, you know, not that that's history, but that is information that has been passed on and on, you know, and on, you know. And so there are a lot of traditions. I mean, even like the stories, you know, that you find in the Bible. I mean, you know, they're passed on and on. And up until, you know, the last hundred years, the majority of people didn't read. But the tradition oh, yeah. stayed because it was told over and over again. And I'll, I'll assume that the stories they told 500 years ago are the same stories that we're telling now in church, Uh you know, because that oral tradition has held. Uh I know, but you know, what's good for the goose is not good for the gander, 
You know, so it's okay, you know, it's okay to baptize children in Christianity, but it's not okay to do ritual purification in an indigenous culture because that's heathen, even though what it's being used for to cleanse and purify the individual is exactly the same. I mean, the intention is the same. Why it's being used is the same. But, you know, we're not doing it in a church with a little basin, you know. They're doing it in a stream, you know. Yeah. So that's bad. But what we're doing is good. And, I, you know, you were talking about how, you know, when they went into these indigenous populations and didn't ask anything, and I think what they would have found out was that there was so much similarity between their beliefs and their cultures and their you know, I want to say religion, or at least the traditions that support the religion, that, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe they saw it, and maybe it scared them. You know, I don't know. But they sure were fast in, like, getting rid of it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it just, um, it does boggle the mind. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, even like you said, jingle bells, absolutely. Look at, look at, um, Look at saying the rosary beads, you know, the the phrase just rolls off people's mouths to the point where they're not even thinking about what they're saying. Mm-hmm. It's just there. It's rote. I mean, that's how I learned my family history. I was bored to death by my mother and my grandmother for decades, Sunday nights, Sunday dinners. We, we heard the family stories over and over and over. I can say a lot of them in my sleep. And mm-hmm. and it's sort of like, yes, that's how you pass it down. And books get destroyed and, and the Internet goes out, but the, that verbal passage of wisdom, it continues like crazy. It's just amazing. And, uh, you know, I really, I agree with you. I, I think that there is a great deal to be said to the foundation of our belief system. And if you go way back, to to what's recorded, and I guess it would be the Sumerian or before. Um, that no, the Sumerian. The, well, okay. You know, it, it depends on how much credence you want to give uh, visual imagery as a vehicle of communication. You know, but the first written language, okay, language versus okay. tool of communication. Um, you know, those have two totally separate dates. But at least you have something physical in your hands, and that's what scientists need, I guess. And and yet, but see, but they don't get it. But they don't. You know, I I was in New Mexico years ago at uh, a park that had a bunch of petroglyphs there, mm-hmm. and in this one area, it was kind of like. There was a petroglyph, and then you looked over there, there was another petroglyph, and over there, there was another petroglyph, so they were kind of in this, like, circle area thing. And there was an archaeologist there working, and he said something which I really didn't take much heed of, although it, like, stuck in my brain. And he said that they would come there and tell stories, and they would, like, do the story in the round. And so, Uh basically... You know, we can have a visual image, and from that visual image, understand an entire story. Want to, do you think you and your listeners would want to do a little test? 
Sure. Okay, so I'm going to describe a person uh, just by his visual image. And mm-hmm. when you know who it is, just yell out the name, okay? Okay. Right? I'm, the, I'm the only okay. one yelling, but go ahead, sure. But that's, yeah, but yeah, but okay, so he is a older white gentleman with a long white beard. He's a little bit portly. Uh, he's often dressed in a red suit with a big black belt and big black boots. Sounds like Santa Claus. That's who it would be. Now, with that one image in your mind, what do you know about Santa? Well, aside from the fact that he lives at the North Pole and that he flies around um, once a year and gives gifts to children, um, not much. Who does he hang out with? Who does he hang out with? Reindeer. And? Mrs. Santa? Elves? 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 You know, so <laughs> just from that one image, it's like yeah. you already know a whole lot about this guy who you've never met. Mm-hmm. He yep. only turns up once a year. You know, and so they would use imagery. You know, so there might be some picture, some rock art somewhere, you know, which mm-hmm. is why I was saying, you know, there's written language. But then there is this rock art where you could look at this image and know the story because you've been told the story. You know, the other example I like to use is like Michelangelo's or no, Da Vinci's The Last Supper. You know, and it's got the 12 guys sitting at the table with Jesus in the center. You know, and all you have to do, I, I found this picture years ago, and it was kind of like the Last Supper, you know, like the people were positioned like in the Last Supper, but they were all in contemporary clothing, sitting at a big picnic Mm -hmm. table with a big red tablecloth on it, you know, but if you're familiar with the the Da Vinci imagery, you would immediately look at this thing and go, oh, it's the Last Supper, you know, and just with that visual image, we know this whole big story. You know, not mm-hmm. just what was going on in that picture, but the extended background and, you know, what's going to happen after. I mean, way more than Santa. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, you know, so visual images, I mean, the church were masters at that. You know, you have a picture of creation. Well, you, everybody knows the creation story. You know, you have a picture of the Last Supper. You have a, a representation, you know, of different things. And you get, because of the information, you get the whole background. And actually, you know, one of the films that I made, uh, Icon, Deconstructing the Archetypes of the Ancients, really gets into this whole concept. You know, because mm-hmm. um, there's something in India that are called mudras. You know, and mudras are hand gestures that uh, depict different concepts. You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, like if you think of like Buddha, you know, and he's got his thumb and index fingers, you know, touching and then his other fingers are like going off to the side. And I don't even know if that's like one that he does, but we'll just use that as an example. Because um, okay. everybody, I think, can like rem- identify that one. You know, but that, yeah. that hand gesture has a meaning. 
you know, and if you do your hand in a certain other little way, you know, like the Italian hand gesture, we all know what that means. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, but it could mean, but in India, it could mean compassion. It could mean understanding. It could mean kindness, you know, and so depending on what's going on with their hand, imbued the image with a totally additional level of meaning. Uh We don't live in India, so we don't know what the heck they mean. (laughs) You know, so So the library, they could be saying, they could be using like Italian hand gestures on us and we would never know. Uh, Yeah, that's what I was about to say. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but... so the Sumerian, quote-unquote, written language is, what, four, 6,000 years old, Some like, something like that? Uh, the Sumerians came into power about uh, 4,500 B.C. Um, yeah, I'm trying okay. to think. I know that they have a lot of written evidence from about 2,500 B.C., maybe a little further than that back. So a lot of these pictographs that that we have all over the planet predate that. They either predate it or were, you know, came forward, you know, in cultures that didn't have a written language. Mm -hmm. So so you've got, you know, you've got Nazca, you've got, you've got a lot of the caves in France, you've got, you know, pictographs in this country even. And, and it seems to me that that there has been an effort of the species to preserve and and to transfer forward wisdom, knowledge, information of some sort. Mm-hmm. We're just in in many cases too dumb to figure it all out. Um, well, I think we lost the library. You know, just like oh, yeah. how we don't understand what the mood. So, did you ever watch that show, So You Think You Can Dance? Yes. You know, and so they, there's this one dance style that's called Bollywood. And oh, they yeah. are jumping around. And, and, and because it's Indian, there's a lot of hand gestures that have all of these implicit meanings in it. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> during one dance thing, you know, they were dancing and they looked really good. Except, you know, when the judges were talking about it, um, one of them said, well, you know, the dancing was great. He goes, but those hand gestures, you might have been cursing somebody out and not even know it. This is true. <laughs> you, you know, because they're in that style. What you do with your hands is critical because that it's like, sign language, you know, except Mm -hmm. different. It's more concept than words or letters. So, but but we've lost the language. Yeah, Yeah. and the the early um, Native Americans used sign language as part of their Mm -hmm. language. So Mm -hmm. that that while, while perhaps the spoken words weren't the same, the hand gestures were. Mm-hmm. So, so we've 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 certainly lost our ability to really communicate on a deep level. That's for sure. I, you know, I look at I look at things like the pictographs, like like the hieroglyphs, like the Sumerian 
languages on the stones. And, and then I look at today, and 6,000 years from now, there are not going to be computers around. There are not going to be, I mean, frankly, if you wiped humanity out now, there would be no record of us that a future generation could draw from because everything that we've done is not carved in stone. It's not, um, it's, it's not being transferred one generation to the next. It's, you know, well, you can always Google it, or have you checked out Ancestry.com? You want to learn about your, your relatives? There it is. You know, you don't have to learn it. It's there. So in many ways, technology is dumbing us down. It is, you know, and we sit here and talk about things. You know, they'll go to an ancient site and they'll pull something out. It's like, oh, it's for ritualistic purposes. Why is everything for ritualistic purposes? You know, and one of the things that I, I talk about in Stepping Out of Eden is, you know, is, is what they say really true? You know, and you uh-huh. have to really kind of look at some of this material you know, with open eyes and a questioning mind. Because 5,000 years ago, you know, based on your commentary, you know, it's like there might be archaeologists digging through a trash bin, you know, a trash dump site, because that will be last. And they might find a McDonald's cup, you know, and think that we worship the god of the golden arches, you know, and would that really be a true statement? You know, so there's what we're digging up and making assumptions about, you know, but what assumptions are going to be made about us? You know, are they going to pull out a pull tab thing from, you know, a six pack of beer and make some assumption about what it was used for? You know, decoration, a necklace perhaps. Um, That has always bothered me. Uh, A lot of the implements that they, they have dug up, especially in South America, you know, it, it's for bloodletting. It's for this. It's for that. Uh, America Stonehenge um, has a, a table. They call it the sacrificial table because there is a an uh, indentation around the outside that they're sure is used to drain blood off. But what if it were just a dinner table? What What if they were messy eaters? What if, I mean, why do, you know, we, we make these guesses about antiquity that in many cases I think are so far off it's unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there were blood sacrifices, the Aztecs, the Incas, I, I, you know, they, they have pictures of it. So, yeah, they must have done that. But But why does everything have to be taken to an extreme? Why can't... You know, some of the flints, why weren't they just to cut the meat so they could eat? Why did it have to be, you know, for killing or for this or for that? I, I sometimes think that the people that are, that are defining and, and telling us what things are used for are just using their imaginations, and they could and be And putting wrong. it out of fact. And putting it yeah. out of fact. That's the part that irritates me the most is, and putting it out of fact. You know, if they said, well, you know, it could have been used for this or, you know, we think or, but they don't. They put it out as fact. This is what it is. The theory of evolution is true. You know, this is this. The earth is flat. The earth is round. We're 3,000 or 3, you know, million light years 
You know, they don't freaking know. I mean, that's that just don't get me started down that track. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, you know. And, and when you start looking at okay, so archaeologists, you know, they try. You know, God bless them, they do try. But but all they're doing is guessing a lot of the time. And and if you take that and you take a look at other aspects and areas of life, and in many cases even religion is just guessing. They don't know. Um, the the, but it the guys that the wrote, foundation of our belief system. Well, I know, but you know, it could be wrong. Well, I'm not it, saying it any right. judgment on right or wrong. I'm just saying that, yeah. and it forms the basis of our belief system and makes helps us make us feel stable in the world. Yeah. You know, but, um, I wrote a piece on Gobekli Tepe. You know why they buried uh, Gobekli Tepe. And, uh-huh. um, you know, and so the, the current theories have been, or the other theories have been, you know, that they buried it for posterity, you know, because uh-huh. there was an impending war, and so they didn't want it to get messed up, um, you know, that it was flooded, and this was just like rubble that backfilled it, um, you know, and some other main reason. And, um, and so I looked at it, from the positioning that it was buried because the land and the facility was considered taboo, you know, and, you know, so, and I get into this whole concept, not since go back to Tepe per se, but the whole concept of taboo in uh, stepping out of Eden, you know, and Uh basically something was considered taboo if it was too blessed, so, like, the God King was blessed, so you couldn't touch mm-hmm. him, you couldn't touch his stuff. Or it was, you know, an abomination, you know, like touching blood or interacting with a dead person, that was bad, and it made you yeah. unclean. And so you would have to do ritual purification. And so if Gobekli Tepe was a place where the gods lived, because there wasn't any other structures around there, you know, not really habitation around there. Um, But Uh if it was where the gods lived, then that site would have been like the holy of holies, you know, and nobody could really go there. I mean, if you think of uh, the tabernacle, you know, that they built out in the desert and only Aaron and the other identified Levites who wore their breastplates could go into Uh the Holy of Holies or else they would die, you know? And so if this place was that sacred, that holy, you know, people go, well, they could reuse the stones. It's like, no, you can't Mm -hmm. because the stones are holy. And so if you want to make sure that your great-grandchildren aren't going to take the stones that are so sacred and put them into a different building... What do you do? You have to destroy it because that's the rules of taboo. You burn it, mm-hmm. you bury it, or you throw it into the ocean. You know, you get rid of it for posterity. And I believe that that's why they did that. And the reason I'm bringing it up is you wouldn't believe how much hate mail I got because I didn't offer the same theory as the other people who have put out theories that 
said, why go back? You know, like, mine was irrelevant because it wasn't like what these other people that I guess are smarter than me, I don't know, uh, had to say. And it's like, but they don't know either. So they just have a more popular name. And you know yeah. what? It, 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 I, I don't think we know the answer. I mean, Gobekli Tepe has always fascinated me. The engravings, especially on the, the oldest stone. I don't know if it's the oldest or the newest, but, but the, the one stone that they talk about with, with all of the engravings on it. Um, somebody had to do it. And was it in, you know, what was the engraving done by the gods? Or by man, and and I have often wondered, looking at hieroglyphs and and um, and a lot of the other stuff that is connected to magnificent construction, that you kind of wonder how the heck did they do that? It, it's kind of like, okay, so I have to, in some way except the fact that there was technology being used in our in our far distant past that we have no knowledge of today and it mm-hmm. must have been quote quote unquote the gods and i don't know it who surely the wasn't us yeah we didn't do it if you look at hieroglyphs and how they are so meticulously done some guy with a hammer and a copper tool did not do it i'm sorry if you look at 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 uh many of the the look at how the pyramid was constructed to me it just doesn't make sense to say oh yeah you know 40,000 men spent 20,000 years and here it is nah I'm sorry. It doesn't make sense. I don't know who did it, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't the way people are saying. You know, it, it's yeah, another theory. Great. But I'm just not ready to to follow along with everybody else saying, oh, yeah, they built, they built, you know, ramps and they did this and they did that. I don't think so. Not with the precision. And, and mm-hmm. you know, were those early people, the Egyptians and the Incas and, you know, all of these thousands of years ago cultures, they knew about the stars. I'll grant you that. They had to. But how did they learn about them? And mm-hmm. someone had to teach them. So who were the gods? We, you've got the Roman gods, the Greek gods, the Norse gods. You've got, you, you've got gods all over the place. Mm-hmm. But as we, as when we were speaking earlier, they all seem to be the same people with different names. Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm okay with it being aliens if you define alien as somebody not indigenous to this planet. I'm okay with that. I'm I'm just well, you know, when you um, you know there we were talking earlier about the whole theory of evolution thing, you know, but when you mm-hmm. look at the mythic record. There's not one comment about a slow and gradual process. <laughs> you know, there are, you know, all of the stories say that we were created by the gods, period. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are multiple stories that talk about 
that there were multiple attempts at making, and I'm putting this in, in quotes, the perfect man. You know, and so there's okay. a Sumerian story that talks about, you know, they made seven attempts to make the perfect man. You know, the first one couldn't stand up, and the second one couldn't urinate, and this one couldn't do this, and this one, you know, so on the seventh attempt, they made the perfect man. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Americas, we have stories about, you know, there were three attempts done to make the perfect man. The first men were made out of mud, and when it rained, they melted. When they <laughs> made the second men, they, but, you know, they, but they got the clay element in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is part of that global narrative. Uh, when they made yeah. the second men, they were made out of sticks but they weren't intelligent and they didn't worship the gods in the way they wanted. So they were annihilated. Then they made the final man and they made those, these men out of corn, red, yellow, black, and white, which I think is interesting, Mm -hmm. which is the color of all of the, you know, uh, cultures around the world, skin culture, skin tone of all the cultures. Um, You know, so we have multiple stories of these, not only one creation of humanity, um, you know, and, and not that someone would recognize it off the top of their head, but in Polynesia, there is the tiki figure, you know, and the tiki figure is this kind of deformed, head-turned, crooked-looking man person. And, and what that symbolizes is the first man, you know, so mm-hmm. is it really representing the first man that, wasn't perfect and was kind of eliminated so that a new and improved version could be formed. You know, so one of the things that I speculate in stepping out of Eden is that perhaps when we look at Homo robustus and Homo erectus and Homo this and Homo habilitis, perhaps these were these earlier attempts at making the perfect man. You know, and mm-hmm. that's why we find them in the fossil record, you know, but they, you know, but there's not a clear line of evolution from one no. to the other. And I don't think we're going to find a missing link because I think it just jumps from one to the next, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when you sit there and say, well, if God created humanity, you know, then you're going, oh, well, now you're being a creationist. And it's like, yeah. well... It depends. It's like creationists believe that God, the guy with the white hair and the beard, you know, created everything, you know, but what if the definition of who and what God is, is just different? I mean, because basically people that follow ancient alien concepts, they really are kind of creationists, except who they think God is, is not the guy with the white hair, it's actually a group of extraterrestrials who intervened in the development of humanity here on the planet. Mm-hmm. Very different I concepts. Mean, that definition I'm fine with. It's just, I think what, what happens is that sometimes that isn't enough, so people's imagination start, starts going with, you know, oh, it was the Pleiadians, or it was this, or it was that, or, you know, I, I think that I am absolutely fine with 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 acknowledging and saying, yeah, that probably happened. That 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 a culture that was far above ours visited the planet and and t- 
tried to help us along. Um, well, I don't I know even know that, if that would be a true statement. You know, they came and they intervened. You know, it's like us uh-huh. giving monkeys, giving monkeys, you know, human brain cells so that they can become smarter. I mean, we sit there and poo-poo the concept of ancient aliens, but we're running around genetically engineering all kinds of stuff now. Well, that's true, too. I just, you know, well, it's just that, <laughs> and what was the purpose of it? Was it, you know, were we in some way, shape, or form somebody's science project for graduation? I mean, you know, you look at the mythic record, and it is abundantly silent in that way. Um, yeah. What is interesting is that... Um, Humanity appears to be a very domestic species, okay? And so when something is domesticated, it relies on outside care and outside intervention. And there's also a level of training that comes along with domestication. You know, so you can take a dog and you bring it into your house and you, you don't, I mean, you domesticate it. You know, you teach not to poop in the house and this is where your water bowl is and you know, you can put funny hats on, and if you start doing it when they're young enough, and they'll walk around with it forever, you know. Yeah. And so I feel like our education, you know, and the things that we do and how we came to be human versus animal is that we had very long-term and severe training. And once that training came into play, just like the – Eight that started teaching her baby sign language, we just self-fulfilled. We taught our children, and our children taught their children. And that process just kept going on and on and on and on, adding in new stuff, adding in new stuff as we moved along. You know, one of the things that you find in myth, you know, in addition to them creating us, is a consistent narrative of, and the gods gave us. You know, the gods gave us fire, the gods gave us agriculture, the gods gave us metallurgy, the gods gave us... We didn't figure anything out. According to myth, humanity didn't figure anything out. And, um, Uh you know, and so was that also part of our training, you know, that they would do another intervention and start giving people you know, the next level of information. You know, they, there is this consistent commentary that uh, domestication of plants started in the Middle East, you know, in the Fertile Crescent, which is true. Yeah. That is where the earliest evidence is. However, <laughs> you know, there's a big however. Uh, yeah. Domestication of plants also occurred in China, and it also occurred in South America, not long after the earliest evidence we find in in the Fertile Crescent. Well, how did they get to South America with a different plant crop? You know, you know. So there was this level of education that came with it, and um, you know. But they like to just tell part of the story and uh-huh. not the whole story. It's oh. You know, because when I was doing the research, my assumption would be, was, you know, that domestication happened, it happened in the Fertile Crescent, because that's what you're told, and yeah. and then it's 
spread out, you know, and somehow got to the Americas, you know what I mean? Didn't even know if they had domesticated plants in the Americas. Didn't know. And, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, agriculture, you know, agricultural, not domesticated, but agricultural stuff. Well, and it turns out that uh, agricultural plants, you know, where they were actually farming started at like 8,000 B.C., just after mm-hmm. the advent of agriculture in the Fertile Crescent. What a coincidence. But the gods gave us agriculture. And yeah. they say the gods gave them agriculture, and the gods taught them how to weave cloth, you know, and how to plant seeds, you know, and the gods taught them all of that. Why make up those stories? Well, good point. And, and if there indeed has been intervention at different times, you know, the Greeks, the Romans, the Egyptians, the Aztecs, the, you know, all of them. Um, and it, it feels like it's almost time for another intervention. <laughs> well, you know, there are that, some people that speculate that instead of, well, that speculate that a lot of the advanced technology we have, um, you know, has come from downed crafts that have been back-engineered. Um, mm-hmm. And so instead of picking select individuals and training them, um, that they're just kind of like throwing the technology out there for us to find and then working with it because we're advanced enough. You know, but then there are others that speculate, well, that we're still communicating with extraterrestrials and they're the ones giving us the advanced technology and the advanced know-how. You know, but it's covert. You know, it's not out there in the open. Now it's like, well, GE came out with this new Wonder product. (laughs) Velcro. We have Velcro now. So we've gone from deifying these people to um, people. if, If they are similar to us as far as appearance and everything, then... We deified them originally, and and now we are, if there is a connection, keeping them. it quiet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like well, that's because secret. it's all about the money. It's all about yeah. the money. I mean, which who is the sad and that? scary part. The I money. Mean, if we, if, if yeah, who taught us about money? Well, you know, we find a really interesting change that happens with the formation of agricultural society. And so when people lived in hunter-gatherer societies, you know, it was a little bit rougher, you know, because Mm -hmm. if it was a bad winter, you know, you might run out of food. Or, you know, if you're hunting, too many people are hunting in the same area, you might not find any animals. You know what I mean? So there are definitely risks tied to that. Yeah. But they had a lot more freedom, you know, and they could just pick up and go. And if they didn't want to do something, as long as they had food, they were fine. Um, When we started to develop agriculture, it was more labor intensive. Um, It turned into a society where there were the property owners and the people that worked on the land. And so it really forced, you know, if there was wasn't already a caste system in place, it really enforced one, you know, where there were, there were those in charge and then there was everybody else. 
Um, and so I will assume that money came in along with that. Um, you know, but I think even before that, though, people traded. You know, there's evidence of, you know, trade happening around, you know, the world where shells that are from Africa are, have been found in Europe. You know, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until, I think, the Sumerians that they started to come up with a symbolic representation for stuff you know, for money. Yeah. I mean, it might have been earlier than that, but I would kind of stick it into that area. Well, when you when you look at the gods and then, and then, you know, you bring the aspect of the gods forward, now there's just, for many, one god. Um, it, 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 if, if it does come to fruition, if people are presented with the fact that those people that we thought were gods were, were really another culture, another species that, that was intervening here for, I don't know, shits and giggles or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. It does, it does destabilize everything that we stand on at the, at that point in time, doesn't it? I mean, it does, and I, you know, that's one of the reasons that I think getting information like this out there is so important because then if that is the case, um, then it's not such a big shocker. Yeah. Maybe you know what we, I mean? Like, there's a lot of rabbit holes. There's a lot of rabbit holes that I, like, kind of sit on the edge of. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's kind of like, well, you know... Okay, well, that's really interesting, and it sounds like it could be true, but I'm going to hold judgment because I'm not feeling like there's enough evidence to fully support it. You know, Mm -hmm. but if somebody coughed up that smoking gun, I'd be there, you know. (laughs) You know, so the extraterrestrials, you know, did come here and interfere with our genetic material, which myth totally support. I mean, that's what the story says. I mean, I just convey the story. That's what the story says, you know, and if some ET comes down and says, oh, yeah, you know, we did this and we did this, I'd be with them, you know? Well, it, it, it makes sense, and I think in many ways sets us free from a lot of the restrictions we've placed upon ourselves because of trying to understand how it all happened. I mean, when, mm-hmm. when I was in high school, I can remember, you know, doing the Greeks and the Roman gods and the Norse and, and, the, and the Egyptians. And, and to me at the time, it felt like I, they were the same people with just different names. And, you know, I didn't say so because, of course, that was probably not the right place or time to be trying to put it all together and understand what was going on. But now that I'm older, you know, I can say a lot of things that I couldn't say when I was in high school. Besides that, it was ancient history. Anyhow, now, now it's ancient history. It's even more ancient, but, but, you know, you did draw, draw the, you, I, I'm 75. Sorry. Come on. It's, it's, you know, we're talking a long time. Come on. It's vintage history. Okay. Okay. I'll go with vintage, but, <laughs> but you know, 
why couldn't you throw into the mix of of the Greek and the Roman and the Egyptian and and everybody just our concept of quote unquote the one God because he was in the mix too. I mean, they all kind of we as human beings do we need to have someone something that is over us that created us that we worship and that we ask for help and stuff like that as a, as a human society see, do we but that's part you know, that doesn't make any sense i mean think about this barbara it's like do you think your dog or your cat sits there and goes oh well there's some guy out there in the sky who's watching over me all the time i don't nope. think so you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. So why did we, at some point in time, thousands, and we're talking thousands, not 4,000, but thousands of years ago, I mean, we have mm-hmm. evidence of circumcision or, you know, potential evidence of circumcision going back 26,000 years. Okay, so that's a ritual that is done as part of an initiation rite into the service of manhood and God, and it was an edict from the gods. So we're talking, this stuff is ancient, 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 ancient. So why would we decide one day, oh, we're, we're stupid and we're going to submit ourselves to some unseen force because we have thunder in the sky. But we had thunder in the sky last week, but this week it's a god. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. it just doesn't make any logical sense to me, you know, Unless there was some guy in a flying chariot going through the sky, and we're like, "Oh yeah, that guy." Oh yeah, well, then it would make sense. That. Well, you know, one of the one of the reasons that, well, not one of the reasons, but well, kinda. Um, I became a teacher, and one of the perks to it. Better, better to put it that way. One of the perks to it was when that classroom door was shut for a time, I was God, literally. I, mm-hmm. I said stuff, and they had to pay attention. I told them to do stuff, and they did it. And it, there is a, a, a sense of, of power. I mean, n- not a lot in a classroom, especially like kids, I will grant you, but... but but it was it's a sense of power and i'm wondering did that enter into it at all as these people from other places you know came in to help did they get off on the fact that that they were being worshiped did they play off of it did they you know was there was there something going on there other than you know let's let's make somebody in our image and see what happens I mean, I have personally always believed, though no proof, that a lot of the statues in Egypt, especially, you know, the great big ones, they were they were not meant to depict somebody. They, they were actual life-size images of, of personages. They, they, they were not just blown up great big for no reason at all. They were life-size. And that quite perhaps mm-hmm. those entities were 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 that big. So well, I mean, you, you know, look I, at I, the gods that they made in 
Greece and, you know, you look at imagery that comes out of Samaria and they're, the gods are all giant. Size. Yeah. I mean, huge, huge. And it's like, okay, so where did that convention come from? You know, people go, oh, well, they were important, so, you know, they made them be big. And it's like, I'm not buying it. I'm not no, buying I, it. I'm you not know, You know, I think that they were big. And then the tradition stayed over, so now if you're the god king or the king, you're represented as being big because we're mm-hmm. holding that tradition. But the tradition started somewhere, and I think the tradition started because they were freaking giant size. Yeah, that I'll buy. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I think that start- you know, you know that that things come from somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't understand how our ancestors. You know, um, like in the Mahabharata, which one day I'll actually read, but it's probably. One of the hardest <laughs> reads I've ever tried to make. I've read the Ramayana. That was actually pretty good. Uh, long, mm-hmm. but good. Uh, the, uh, yeah, it's tough, tough, you know, and, and they don't shut up and they just don't move along. But anyway, um, you know, but there are these battles that are happening and aerial battles and these weapons and they're smiting people and doing all of this stuff. And it was written during a time where, you know, maybe they had a bow and arrow. <laughs> yeah. You know, and where did they come up with? And people were like, well, they used their imagination. It's like, that's pretty uh, advanced yeah, imagination. No, but, but, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one because they found evidence of nuclear-type stuff in, in the desert Um well, oh, over... that's a little bit contested. You know, I just had a whole long conversation with somebody about that. Yeah, well, I I kind of think that that some of the things that took place actually did happen, and it's just that you know you you describe things when you're describing things from your frame of reference, and and if you don't have words for things like you know big weapon and yada yada. You, you explain it in terms that other people will understand. And, you know, what the, look at the flying shields that Constantine spoke of. Mm-hmm. I think it was Constantine. Um, you know, obviously some sort of flying object, but um, mm-hmm. he the only words that he had to use to describe it were flying shields. And mm-hmm. I think that, that especially with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, and uh, come on, they they found. How do you melt sand if you don't have you know high intensity something to create mm-hmm. what is left? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be nuclear. It could be even better than nuclear, which you know maybe not quite as destructive, but it, it will melt a city. Um, but you know it it. it to me, it, it feels like we have deified people who really weren't deifiable. Mm-hmm. And, and although the stories are great, I mean, I love the stories and the archetypes and everything. They're, they're really cool. But, but to make a religion out of it, to worship it, to 
to listen to sometimes stories that have no fact behind them that, that try to control you in one way or another is not good. Mm-hmm. But so, that's what so, they do. You know, my big thing is that, you know, and the message I want people to hear is that, you know, this stuff came from somewhere. I mean, that yeah. is my fervent belief, that this stuff, this material, the stories of myth, the stories of old, the traditions that we hold, you know, why do people get baptized, you know, which is found in every culture? Why do people get married? Found in every culture. And the rules tied to it. Same ones. <clears throat> found in every culture. I mean, why get married? Who came up with that? You know, <laughs> scientists have identified, and this I found very interesting, so I had to watch the whole show because it was kind of talking about sex. But scientists uh-huh. have identified that certain animals, uh, when they, I don't, I, it's been a really long time, but basically when they become pregnant or something like that, or when they have sex, that over a certain period of time, that their body re, uh, produces this chemical and will kill off other sperm, okay, which puts out the notion that uh, you're having sex with multiple partners, you know, Mm -hmm. because it cuts down on the competition or whatever. And there's something to that effect. And again, it's been really long time ago and I wish I had that in my brain better. Um, And humans have that, human women have that capability, which implies that human women were not monogamous. You know, and so if you're not monogamous, then, you know, if that's not something that you want to have happen, then you have to have a whole marriage thing. You know, but I go into a whole other speculation on why the law of marriage was put into place, you know, which was an edict, because marriage was an edict from the gods, you know, and all these laws tied to it and rules tied to it were edicts. From the gods, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, Ten Commandments, edicts from the gods. Oh, yeah. You know, I, you know, and so wherever you look, there are these rule books and playbooks that we live by that were edicts from the gods, you know, and it, what happens if you don't follow one of the Ten Commandments? You're going to burn in hell, you know, so there's always some kind of punishment tied to not following the rules. You know, or mm-hmm. not making reparation for not following the rules. And you see that same system being held in culture after culture after culture. I yeah, mean, that's it, the part was, that I find uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I, 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 was, I was especially interested in the section on the tattooing, how, you know, married women were tattooed or, or you know, you weren't allowed to to marry within your tribe and therefore you could tell by somebody's tattoos whether they were in the same tribe or whether, you know, there there was the use of tattoos was really quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. And um and then you go into the frozen guy. Um Otzi. I forget what yes. Um Otzi. I I I well, his body was found frozen where? In the Alps. In the, in Alps. the Alps. Okay. 
So so this guy was frozen solid, and so he still had his skin. And what I found fascinating, really fascinating, were that that um, the acupuncture points were, were almost circled on his body that would help to alleviate the pain and discomfort that he actually physically suffered from. And mm-hmm. this skeleton goes back how many thousands of years? Uh, 2300 B.C. You know, okay, so it is so the oldest. It is the oldest human remains um, with evidence of tattooing. Amazing, uh, um, amazing that at that time. So we're going back 40, 4,300 years. At that mm-hmm. time, they were aware of places on the body that that when put under pressure would relieve pain, would relieve discomfort, would relieve inflammation, whatever. And how did we lose it for 4,300 years? Well, we didn't suddenly... lose it. Well, well we didn't lose not. it. it was, it's been in China, you know, but we mm-hmm. just don't do China because it's devil stuff. You know, my mom, um, my mom has Parkinson's. And so many mm-hmm. years ago, you know, she was trying to do exercises because her mobility was starting to get impaired. And I thought it was great that she was trying to do, like, Tai Chi and yoga. Not yoga so much because she wouldn't have had a hard time with the posture. But Tai Chi. Yeah. And my sister-in-law, who my brother and sister-in-law are pretty hardcore Christians, she told my mother that she shouldn't do it because it was devil stuff. Tai Chi. Oh, she didn't listen. So my mom didn't do. So my mom didn't do the Tai Chi, and I think it would have been the best thing for her because it was where she was physically. It would have been a very good thing for her to keep moving and more uh-huh. limber, you know. And yeah, she didn't do it because it was devil stuff. Ugh. And I just was like. I mean, where do you come up with that? <laughs> I don't, you know, because I don't know. just because it's not, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, Christianity doesn't have any exercise programs. Um, but, and you know, just it, because it, it's not Christian doesn't mean it's devil stuff. Isn't it kind you know, of, or it's not good for you? Isn't it? Isn't it upsetting that that the gods gave us, you know, fire and weaving and well making weapons and and healing stuff cuts gave us the gods gave us so much stuff and now the god singular is telling us what not to use what not to do is it the god telling us or is it the men who are using god as as their authority figure so that they can scare the population into something Oh, well, you already know the answer I'm going to say. So do I really need to say it? <laughs> you know, and I mean, I'm going to make a commentary. That... Well, it, it's all about control, and it's all about power, and it's all about controlling the narrative. Yeah. You know, and do as I say and not as I do. Oh, you know, so, yeah. you know, and this is my opinion about the gods versus the gods. You know, when you sit there and look at the Bible, 
mm-hmm. in particular, uh, starting in Genesis, Genesis 1, and going to the flood narrative. Okay, so just that chunk of Bible stories fit perfectly in the narrative that you find in every other culture on the planet. The timeline is the same. Key points in the stories are the same. They fall in the same chronology. Um, Mm -hmm. However, when, and I'll use Greek mythology, you know, when you look at Greek mythology, you know, you have a war or a battle that happens between Uranus and his titan son with Kronos castrating his father. And then we have Kronos taking over power and his son Zeus having a war with him and him beating Kronos and uh, casting Kronos into the depths of Tartarus. Well, Mm -hmm. you can't have these stories. You can't have Inanna go into the underworld. You know, you can't have all of this stuff happening with all of these gods if there's only one God. So you start systematically deleting story after story after story after story, you know, and, you know, then you could throw in a couple of, like, angels and, you know, the serpent, (laughs) you know, and you kind of make them like, well, yeah, we'll just, like, have this talking serpent. Yeah, that's it. And, uh, (laughs) you know, and then there are several that suggest that, uh, the sky god, who is the judgmental kind of angry one, and the fertility god, who was the one that was ultimately responsible for the creation of humanity, they took those two characters and kind of wielded them into one, which is why the god of the Bible kind of looks a little schizophrenic. <laughs> kind of. We're talking kind Old of. Testament here, very. Yes. Old, yeah, Old Testament, definitely. Okay. Yeah, it yeah. is amazing how he went had to go through therapy to get into the New Testament. Probably that's sacrilege. I realize, but you know, no, he's really not in the New Testament. He doesn't really make an appearance. No, but he's spoken of. Spoken of, but doesn't make an appearance. No, that's true. That's true. But doesn't you know, so they can say whatever they want by that time? By that time, religion was already totally dogmatized. Anyway. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. But you know, you we're know, not you do, dealing with any plain truth anymore. I mean, you know, I'm and I'm not saying, you know, I want to make it real clear here that that um, I'm not saying that I don't believe in a source of all creation because I do. But a people person that did it, nah, not so much. Now. Were well, you know, as I like to say, you know, you know, there's the creator God, mm-hmm. and then there's the God that's in the Bible, you know, that's separate <laughs> from the creator God, because they mention that guy. And so when you talk about that guy, that's not like the creator God. That's some extraterrestrial person. That used to be a bunch of people, but now it's just one guy. Yeah. it That makes more sense to me. You know, I... I the. A source, absolutely. A consciousness, absolutely. Um, but not a person. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think that that's that's what 
what hits us on, 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 on a human level. It's so much more comforting to think that there is someone watching over us. And my my whole thing when I talk with people is to explain that, that if you're looking for a purpose of life, if you're looking for a purpose for your spirit being here, it's to evolve and to grow. And and it's, you know, you're not here for other people. You're here for yourself and your own energy to grow and expand. And it, it to me, that's that's easier than, you know, oh, if I if I do this or if I do that, that that you know, I will be punished. Um, you'll probably have to pay for the consequences of your actions, absolutely, but not from a deity out there someplace that's going to strike you down. It's it's you have total responsibility, I believe. But and but uh, from a very you know, energetic place, from yeah. a very energetic place. It's kind of like, so if all I'm doing is following the rules that have been imposed, then I may not be coming from my higher self. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, there were some original guidelines that were established for whatever reason. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, but rules help society function better. You know, and rules propel things forward. Um, but when we start talking about some of these other rules, it's kind of like, or it today, you know, I'll use today as the example, it's like people hang on to them, but they're not really serving them or their higher purpose. You know, to sit there and say, oh, well, you can't do Tai Chi because it's devil work. Well, you know, that's just a rule. And actually, I have a better one. You know, so, and it's actually not a religious rule, but it kind of illustrates the point. So, you know, people that are vegetarian or vegan, you know, they aren't going to eat any animal product. And so when you are talking about supplements, uh, supplements normally will come in a gel cap. You know, Uh everybody knows what a gel cap is. Well, a gel cap has gelatin in it, which is made from an animal product. And so I know there are a number of vegetarians or vegans who won't take the supplement in the gel cap because it has animal product. You know, and they'll empty them out or they will only take stuff that's in a pill or whatever. And it's kind of like their thinking is so rigid that keeping according to these rules that they have taken on is more important than them getting well. I mean, obviously, if there's alternatives that are going to give you the same results, great. You know, Mm -hmm. but to sit there and go, oh, well, I can't take that. Even though, like fish oil, well, I can't take that. It's like, but if it's going to make you well. Yeah. You know? Wow. uh, It's just, you know, we, we, society as a whole is at a place where, I think we're at a, there's a log jam, and and mm-hmm. it's kind of like we we strive to go forward, but we are we are so bound by things that we have been taught that that perhaps don't really apply to us in the way that they were intended initially, mm-hmm. and so it's it, it's important to question. And, and 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 I'm not saying, you know, 
I'm saying question. Educate yourself. Learn about things. And, and when it comes to a belief system, certainly whatever someone's belief system is, you know, they're entitled to it, and I honor them. I, you know, I use this show to sort of, in, in many ways, evolve my own belief system. And, and you know, what I, what I talk about and believe in at this moment in time, you know, three weeks from now, check back with me. You know, I, I may have found another piece of trivia that, that, that just opens the door for me and changes everything. But I think we need to be open, open-minded and open-hearted and, and be willing to listen and learn and assimilate what is appropriate for us at that particular point in time. Mm-hmm. You know, and what you were saying was just bringing up in my mind, you know, there are some very challenging issues, you know, that what might feel good to me or might feel right to me, you know, society really frowns <laughs> upon. <laughs> um, and, and where do you draw that line, you know, you know, and, and what's coming to my mind? I mean, two things in particular are concepts like pedophilia. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, not that I'm a pedophile or anything like that, but, you know, but if I were, you know, there would be this compulsion to do it, you know, with little kids, which to me is totally gross. But, you know, for someone who is of that mindset, it's like they feel like it's their calling, like they're getting this message, I will assume, I mean, I would assume that this yeah. is something that they shouldn't want to do, you know. And so what do you do with that? You know what I mean? I mean, you, you know, so we're running into some stuff that's just weird and awkward. And, you know, then there's the whole, like, late-term abortion thing, which I'm sorry. Mm. I'm a pretty open-minded person, but I kind of have a lot of issues with that. Yeah, I, I do, too. Um you know, if there's if there's life, it should be honored. I'm not sure exactly when life starts, but pretty sure it's not right before. You know, it's way before birth. So, um, yeah, I have an issue with that too, and I, I guess it's a it's a personal thing with everybody. But but I am against making a law one way or another. You know. However, if there's a heartbeat, then, then to me there's life. So, you know, it, it's judgment. And, and I guess, you know, one can't impose their own philosophy on another to a degree. But if there's a human life involved, I want to get involved, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's life. I get really stuck where it's kind of like, but the baby could survive outside of the womb. At this point in time. Oh, yeah that baby could survive outside of the womb. You know, prior to that, like if you just had like, you know, had the baby, you know, you know, at like five months or four months or whatever, I mean, there's not any uh-huh. chance that that baby's going to survive. You know what I mean? So even though even to me personally, I think that's a little late. Um, yeah. But there's not even a potential of survival. Uh-huh happening but in eight months or nine months it's kind of like excuse me well my philosophy is if you've waited that long give the child a chance give it up for adoption 
Yeah, there are plenty yeah. of people out there that are just just hungry, not hungry, bad word, but 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 are 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 wanting so badly to be parents. You know, why 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 do that? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, our culture mm-hmm. is is getting out of hand here. You know. Um, but I don't know if it's the culture or if it's the government. I don't know who to blame, but I do know that at the very, very bottom of the core of our spirits, that there is there is a humanity there that that a lot of people aren't even expressing these days, and and that it's a sad thing to think that we are so controlled by other forces that. That that beauty inside of us is not able to manifest to the degree that that it should. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, <laughs> we're we're coming to a close here of a two-hour conversation that I, I suspect could go on for another two. But uh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, your website is soulhealer.com. Um, and and you are all over the place with writing and, and all sorts of other things. Is there something coming up currently that you want to put out there? Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, I'm working on a new book, but it's going to be a little bit before I'm done with that. And I don't have my, like, little spiel thing for it, so I'm just not even going to. Although it's a book more um, on personal healing, you know, uh-huh. um, um Personal emotional healing, self-awareness and personal emotional healing. I'll just leave it there for right now. Okay. Um, Let's see. I have a conference in September in, I have to think about this, Memphis. And I would tell you what the name of it is, but I don't have that off the top of my head. Um, Well, I'll I'll tell you something. If you're in Memphis in September, I'm currently moving to Nashville, so we'll have to get together. Well, okay. Yeah, I'll be there, um, I think it's September, the weekend of September 21st, I think is the weekend. I'll um, note that in my calendar. <laughs> well, you should maybe, I think they have booths available. You should come and get a booth. Oh. Well, let yeah, me just send get me a my message. I'll send you first. the information. <laughs> okay, that's great. <laughs> well, I, I yeah, so, so appreciate um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to like put out that, you know, all of my books and, st- and videos and stuff are available on soulhealer.com. If you order them from me versus buying it from Amazon, who take all your money, um, you okay. know, they do come autographed. So I'd appreciate that. Um, you know, Stepping Out of Eden and E.T. Chronicles, What Myths and Legends Have to Say About Mankind are the two books we talked about primarily today. Yeah, and they're well worth reading. They They will... What's so cool is they'll open so many more questions to you. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> but it yeah, gives you foundation to work from. It's, it's, mm-hmm. You make people think, and that's the important thing. But I, I so thank you for tonight and would love to have you back on again. And certainly after the new book comes out, I'll stand in line and get a copy so we can um, – expand on what we've we've created here because I think this is only the start of an amazing dialogue that can help people understand a little bit better about where we come from and how we came and 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 you know hopefully totally confuse everybody and Mark is just just I, I I'll kill him um, when I 
co-host with him, I give him a countdown of when it's time to say goodnight, and he just told me it's time to say goodnight, Barbara. So um, thank you, Dr. Rita, for for everything, and um, I look forward to doing this again with you. Perfect. I would totally enjoy that. You have a great night, and bye, everybody. Okay, good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in.